I grew up very Irish Catholic and, you know, was the good girl and didn't curse. And, and I hit 40, Steve, and I was just like, fuck it. It's a word. And it's one of the best words to just let it out. So it's very useful. I'm fine with it. It's that. a verb. It's an adverb. It's a noun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's amazing. It's amazingly flexible. Like, I could take a few lessons from that word, actually, about being flexible and adaptable, I think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> This is the Sensitive Rebel Podcast, and I'm your host, Steve McCready. Join me for conversations with people who see possibilities that compel them to go against the status quo, but who sometimes struggle to do so because of the noise and norms of the world. I call them Sensitive Rebels, and we'll discuss the challenges, successes, and lessons from their journeys as they keep moving forward in their quest to make a difference in the world. Hey, Sensitive Rebel, it's Steve. Yeah, it has been a while, and I'm sorry about that, but I am back, and I hope you are well wherever this audio might find you. So I am going to be talking to my friend Beth Allen today on the podcast, and Beth is somebody I've known since 2013, when she was, in fact, just getting started with DIY Hip Checks, which is a resource for women who want to learn how to tackle DIY home improvement projects with confidence and skill. Now, Beth's background is in nursing, so it's kind of an interesting pivot, but actually doesn't surprise me at all because the personality traits that Beth has, it's very empathetic, but also very no-nonsense, a matter of fact, are a great fit, I think, for both of those jobs. She's an excellent teacher, as you'll see when you watch some of her videos, and she is a lot of fun. She's got a good sense of humor, and she really cares deeply about empowering women. And you'll hear more about that when we talk about some of the other ideas she has for things she'd like to do beyond DIY hip checks. It was great to catch up with Beth, and here's our conversation. Beth! good to talk to you. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, it is so nice to be here with you, Steve. It's been too long since we've seen each other in person too. It's been a really long time. Our connection comes via Michael Port and his book, Yourself Solid Work. And we were in a program that he used to run called The Alliance back in like, what, 2013, I think? Oh, at least, yeah. I think that's right. That's how we first met at a couple of the in-person events there. And, and she'd forgotten, but I reminded her recently, I actually still owe her a beer as it relates to, to one of those things. So at some point we'll have to connect in person so I can pay that one off. Next time so. I'm in California. Yes, you're buying me a beer. Or, or next time I'm in Pennsylvania. So we'll sort it out one way or another. I'm glad that uh, to finally get a chance to have you on because I've wanted to for a little while. And so tell us, Beth, what are you rebelling against? What am I rebelling against? I think there are a few things. I think one is the stereotype that women cannot play with power tools and do construction and be solid homeowners without a man in their life. Now, while I do have a man in my life, I actually have four men in my life with my husband and three sons, I am the lead on everything home-related in my house. And it's been that way for many years. I'm definitely fighting the system on that. Contractors would come to my house and they would look for my husband. And I'm like, no, no, you're talking to me. He's not in the picture on this decision. So that's one thing. And I think another thing I'm being a rebel on is I'm fighting myself. I know I'm not alone in that we have to rebel against some of our own misconceptions about ourselves and the fallacies that we've been planted in our own heads about 
our childhood and what we deserve and what we're worthy of. And I know I have to continually fight against that. So uh, rebelling against your internal narratives that uh, you may have picked up over the various parts of your lifetime, it sounds like. Absolutely. I want to definitely get into some exploration of both of those. But before we do that, I want to go backwards and let's let's talk a little bit about background and how you got to that point, especially as it relates to everything with the power tools, because that's how really I first right, came to know you and be aware of you uh, with the, the DIY hip checks work that you were you know doing and working on at that point in time. But I know that's not where you started your professional life. And so give us the background leading up to the point to make the decision to, to switch into that world. Well, uh, many moons ago, I was actually a registered nurse. I have a bachelor's degree in nursing and I worked in geriatrics. I was actually the director of nursing at a retirement home. Some crazy soul hired me when I was 23 years old to run a well clinic for 500 retirees, manage a staff of 25, and be in charge of all of the OSHA and HR health requirements for 100 people. So at a young age, I took on a lot of responsibility. I loved it. It was a wonderful job. But after four and a half years, I was burned out. It's a lot to give yourself to all those people all the time. So I decided to stay home when we got pregnant and raised three boys. So I kind of joke that I went from one group of needy people to another group of needy people. And not to be you know, crass, but the diapers got smaller because I went from geriatric care to, to child care. And then people say, how do you go from nursing to, to home repair? And it's the same methodology. It's problem solving. Parenting is problem solving. And I look back and I see I'm a fixer. So I was a fixer as a nurse because that's what we do. And as a parent, you're constantly putting out fires and doing things. And then I made the jump to home improvement. So after staying home for 10 years full-time with my kids, I wanted our house to look a certain way, but we only had one income then. And believe it or not, I had time on my hands because my kids were self-sufficient in that they would entertain each other and themselves. So I could go off for half an hour and change a doorknob or, you know, do a little product and they were fine. Everyone said to me, you need to teach other women how to do all these things that you've learned how to do. Because I taught myself electric and plumbing and drywall, and I did tile work, and I put in new floors, and, and people were like, how do you know how to do all this? So then I put together a class, and I reached out to the adult evening school nearby and said, would you like a class on home repair for women. And it was an older woman who ran the program. And she said, absolutely. She goes, we start in six weeks. And I'm like, holy crap. Okay. Now I have to put together a curriculum. Like it was just an idea. And then poof, I had to create a curriculum on something that I had never taught before. Our first session had five women and the next session had 25. I started getting calls from other community centers and schools and libraries asking me to teach this course. And since then, it's been almost 10 years and I have taught thousands of people live. I've spoken at the Philadelphia Home Show. I've been on Rachel Ray. I have done a hundred plus Philadelphia TV news and media spots. And my YouTube channel is just hit 2.8 million views. Quite a turn from running a geriatric ward to being able to hold my own in this media space of empowering women. 
what a like fabulous story of, of growth and possibility. That's really cool. I'm a little curious, like how did you teach yourself and learn all of this stuff actually? Cause today, like we could just watch YouTube videos and we'd be fine. Like watch your YouTube videos in fact, but like, how did you go about teaching yourself and why do you think it is that the way you were doing it or something stuck out to people that are like, oh, you should teach other people this. There's a bit of a leap there. And, and I'm curious about how that happened. I grew up in a house where it was a blue collar family. We didn't have money. We lived paycheck to paycheck. We might've had two grand in the bank as reserve and God forbid the car died or an appliance broke. So I grew up living in a very self-reliant, resourceful mindset. And that to me, it was a priceless experience growing up because we learned how to figure things out. You grew up in problem solving because you had to. It wasn't because I wanted to save money or be creative. We had to. We didn't have the money to bring in a professional for a lot of things. So I grew up watching my mom, not my dad, fix things. So that was my role model, first off. And she had Chilton's home repair manual that was like eight inches thick. There was a, a home store called Rickles and Channel that were back in the 80s. And she had all these little pamphlets that were like project specific handouts. And I just remember that was what we did. And, and we went to the store, we got those little sheets, we talked to the guy in the aisle and they gave us help. And so that was how I approached it when I had my own house. I bought the Home Depot orange textbook, that one, two, three textbook. I went to the store. I asked a thousand questions. I would write down answers. I even had one of the guys in Home Depot in the electrical department gave me his business card and I called him from my attic hooking up a ceiling fan and he walked me through it while I was in my attic. I found people that would help me and I asked questions and did I make mistakes? Hell yeah. There's, there's things I still look at around my house and I go, oh God, I screwed that up. But in making those mistakes, you learn how to do it better the next time. I think much of what I was doing comes down to confidence. If I screwed up in my first job, somebody got hurt, somebody got sick, someone could have died. If I screwed up doing home repair, as long as it's not like major electric or plumbing, so what? You go buy a new sheet of drywall. Like it's not the end of the world. And people get so afraid of making a mistake that they don't even try. I think that is such a huge and important perspective piece that you've just hit on. It's not really a big deal. I'm curious in your home growing up, what did you see as far as how mistakes were dealt with or what lessons were taught about mistakes? Is that something that you also learned there or? I don't know that those were great lessons. There was a whole lot of four letter words. Okay. Uh -oh. <laughs> I remember a whole lot of, of yelling and cursing. I remember I was like 17 and my parents were trying to replace the kitchen faucet and there was a whole lot of screaming going on. And I finally just yelled at both of my parents and said, get out of the kitchen, just get out from under the sink, just go away the two of you. And I figured it out by myself because I couldn't stand the arguing anymore. So here's the irony of all of my life's journey is two years ago, my mom passed and I had to renovate her house to sell it. And there's a whole emotional component to that, which is a, a separate thing, but I was back in her house fixing and undoing some of the things that I did with her as a kid. Like I remember being 10 years old and hanging the wallpaper in my bedroom with her. And now I was 48 years old and my kids were helping me strip the wallpaper. 
And it was just like how full circle. So we made mistakes. I looked and I, I see some of the things my mom did in her house. And I'm like, God, I wish I could have been there to teach her to do it better. Because when you know better, you do better. And she didn't know better, but she did the best she could with, I guess, the knowledge, the skill, and the guts that she had. What do you think it is about the actual work of the repairs, the DIY stuff and all of that? What about doing those tasks and those activities like speaks to and resonates with you? For me, the do-it-yourself projects are not about the Instagram or Pinterest photo at the end. It is about the journey. It's about taking something that you see that needs improvement, that can be made better so it's more efficient, so it's more attractive, so it's more functional, so it's safer. And that's the way I look at at systems and things. And that's how things are in nursing too. I, I never believed in just like slapping a Band-Aid on a problem. You need to step back and go, what's, what's the backside? Why is that patient back in the hospital for the fourth time in six months for the same problem? It's not just fixing the problem and putting them out the door. What's the bigger picture? So for me, it was always, what's the bigger picture? Am I adding value to my home? Am I enjoying the creative process? Am I finding a sense of myself that I didn't know I had because I accomplished something. And I say to all of my students, especially the the female ones, we as women have this ability to give birth to, to a human and bring a whole nother person into the world. Why are we intimidated by a toilet? It is bolted to the bathroom floor. It's an inanimate object. Why are we intimidated by that? And I say to them, you've gotten through divorce, you've been widowed, you put yourself through school, maybe you have were in an abusive relationship, you've taken care, you've been a caregiver, you've done all of these hard things in your life. And you look at that toilet and you're like, oh, I don't I gotta call somebody. I can't fix that flapper. And I want to shake them. And I'm like, oh my God, you can do this. And what I find when I get women to to fall over that edge and try things, they see themselves in a different way. So it's not always about fixing that flapper. It's about opening their eyes to their own abilities and and seeing themselves in a bigger sense. This is one of the things that I, I know to be true about you, and I'm seeing it right here, right? Is there's this really clear awareness and focus for you on these more, I'll say, high level sorts of things, right? Because there's this empowerment topic that's really right there, and that there's so much about this that it's about empowerment, but there's also in how you look at home repair and how you're talking about it, thinking about it in the context of a system. And you're like, it's not just like, let's slap this mandate on, it's let's think about how this integrates with the system as a whole and how to actually you do it in a way that enhances. And so I I suspect it's exactly that mindset, which is part of why the way that you were doing this, as you learned, probably stuck out to people and led to people saying, hey, you need to teach this to others. That would be my guess. But I'm wondering, did you ever ask people like, why me? Or why are you suggesting that? Or I don't know that I've ever asked that specifically of women, but I've asked that of some of the men that have taken my classes and that have followed me. Because even though I target women in the marketing and the terminology, you know, we're hip chicks and all of that. I call them the hip chicks and dudes when I have guys in my presence. But some of the guys said to me specifically that they feel comfortable learning from me because I don't emasculate 
I don't talk down. I don't make them feel like this is something that men ought to know genetically. There's no genetic imprint for using a hammer. And they feel a sense of nurturing that I'm not just about giving them instructions, but I'm about making sure that they feel whole in their understanding and in their accomplishment and execution. And it's interesting because even though it's all targeted towards women, 60% of my YouTube views come from men. I'm not surprised by that at all, actually. I know plenty of men who are not, so we say highly skilled DIYers. Mm -hmm. I'm one of them. Like I can do some things and I figured out a few along the way, but I didn't like my father never taught me how to do any of that stuff. And I definitely did not inherently know how to do it. Like I got through shop class without cutting off a finger, but that world does have a kind of an energy about a rick hand that is, I think, off putting to some, to some men. And so yep. it totally makes sense to me that that would work, but it's really just this, this, again, this whole idea of you can do this. It's not that big a deal. Number one, and two, really coming at it from the standpoint of this idea of really empowering people, really helping people to see and recognize their own strength and to be able to, to embrace that, which I think is such a cool thing. I'm wondering, speaking of the no big deal piece as it relates to mistakes, it's been on my mind is you mentioned the perspective difference, drywall versus somebody's life. But I'm wondering if there's, are there other things that you had experienced up to that point in your life that you think gave you that perspective on those mistakes as eh. definitely. And I've shared a little bit with you in the past about my relationship with my mother. And when I was a young kid, I never realized that my mother was very codependent on me. And as I became a young adult, teenage, late teens, a lot of her unhealthy behavior started to just escalate. So at the point when I was 20, my mother was having a bit of a nervous breakdown. She was coming unraveled and I was the only child still living at home. And my father was not emotionally equipped to deal with my mother. So it was, it was her way or the highway, just go along with whatever she wants. And I'm not the kind of person to just go along with things. And again, that's the rebel in me. So I looked around and I was like, pardon me, this is fucked up. Like, this is not how a normal, healthy family should be interacting. My mother's expectations of, of me and my timing and where I was and why I wasn't with her was just unhealthy. And the more I, I tried to challenge a, a more healthy interrelationship rather than the codependent one, she rebelled against me and everything. And at one point she was suicidal. I begged her to get help. So it was just about three years of my life that were just a living hell, trying to manage my mother's well-being. And it was very difficult. So I look back at my life and at 21, I made the decision to move out of my parents' house between junior and senior year of college. I took on all of my own bills, worked 20 hours a week as an RN, put myself through college the last year. And other people were off having fun in senior week. And I'm like, I got to work four shifts this week. I got to provide for myself. So I look back on all of those experiences and what I had to overcome to maintain my own mental health and my own physical well-being and all of that. And this other stuff is, this is a breeze. And that's why I try to, to have women tap into all of that emotional stuff that they've accomplished. It, it is nothing compared to the DIY stuff. So it's really helping people get perspective on what this is. Yeah. We can get so easily caught up in the idea of this is unknown. And it's, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with something, it seems intimidating and scary and it might as well be rocket science. But the reality is a lot of this stuff, as it turns out, isn't 
at rocket science that toilet's a great example it's it's actually not that complicated it's just not something you're familiar with it's very simple yeah mm-hmm. it's a very simple device right. <laughs> it's not going to take your keys in the middle of the night and you know as a teenager and doesn't back talk all these challenging things you can turn off the water to it and shut it down and just say i'll deal with you tomorrow you know what i mean there's ways to get around it which you cannot do with a screaming you know, in- infant that won't fall asleep and is clearly in some distress, but who knows what it is because they can't communicate it to you. Yeah, there's nothing you can do there except deal with it. So you're right. In a relative sense, this is hardly a big deal. So there really is a big psychological element that you recognized and bring into your work, which I have no doubt is part of what helps it to be effective and relatable to people. I think that's a piece of it. I, I think the other piece is I love to learn. I love to learn about everything, even for my business. You know, I know a lot of people will hire someone to do their webpage and hire someone. And I've done that, but I've also delved into it. I want to know how things work because I love seeing how things integrate into other things. And and I guess that's the scientist in me as a nurse and that problem solving. You want to know how this thing affected that thing. How did this respiratory thing affect your cardiac status? And now you have swollen feet and, and putting all of those things together. But the more we know about things, just the more capable we are, the less fear we have in the world. I have met women who are clueless, genuinely clueless about the way their house works. They don't know where their circuit box is. They don't know where their water main is. I've asked them what kind of heating system they have. They can't answer these basic questions. I look at them first and I go, holy crap, like how have you gotten through life not having some sense of these basic things? And I also realize that if no one takes you by the hand and says, hey, you ought to know this, you just don't know what you don't know and you don't know what you need to know. If someone hasn't guided you, I don't change the oil on my car. I don't want to deal with the mess, but I understand how and why and when, but I choose not to do it. Same thing for your house. You need to understand it. It is the biggest investment of your life. It is the thing that you ride your retirement on, your kid's education on, your well-being. And when you move into a uh, dementia facility because you've sold your home, like people don't realize you have to maintain your home as much as you need to maintain your health. Absolutely. And much in the same way, there's a lot of systems at play there that are uh, not always super visible, but are really important and can be problematic if they're neglected, huh? Oh my God. (laughs) Absolutely. You got plumbing in your body, you got plumbing in the house. And when it gets backed up, you've got a problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's not good no matter where that's happening. And it's funny over the years, I've had people, I love toilets. I love talking about toilets. They're fun and they're cheeky and everybody uses one. It's a universal experience. And people have given me toilet gifts. I have keychains and mugs and shirts and pens and all sorts of gear all around the toilet. And I I feel like I could be like the potty queen with all of that, but it's fun and it's cheeky. But if it gets people to just open their eyes and want to learn, that's what I want. I just want people to want to learn. I totally hear that. And this is something, as you said, it's not taught in schools and no, we could talk about whether or not it, it should be. I would argue that it actually should be because not everyone has a parent 
who's going to go and show them, hey, here's how this works, or here, do this, or here, hold my flashlight, and I'm going to teach you about it while we do this together. Not at all. And so- And that's how you learn the four-letter words, by the way, <laughs> is when you're holding the flashlight for your parents. Well, that's when you learn the I, words. I'm sure that's true for a lot of people, but not for me, because that's not that wasn't my experience. So I don't know where the fuck I learned them, but it wasn't actually from my father, because he did not have me holding the flashlight. But but I, yeah, I'm sure for a lot of people, that's exactly true. Probably true for my daughter. She's definitely picked up her share from being around me. <laughs> so I'll take credit or blame depending on how one wants to look at it. So for you, this curiosity, because there's a piece of this that absolutely has been fueled by your curiosity to understand like, how does this work? What is this? Is fundamental to this, I think. And is that something that you've always had? Is that something that's developed or where's, where's that curiosity come from, do you think? I think I've always been a curious child. My brother and sister are nine and 10 years older. And, and they said, I was always the one asking a thousand questions and, you know, and tinkering and building things and building with Legos and building with tinker toys and, and always hands-on as a kid. I was the one who was always rearranging my bedroom and moving the furniture and coming up with a better design in the space. And so it was interesting that I, I didn't end up going into more of a of a design or engineering or something like that that I ended up in nursing but you use all of that in in nursing and I guess at one point I liked the idea of teaching but I ended up you know choosing nursing because back in, in 87 89 when I was graduating getting ready to graduate from high school girls went into nursing and, and education you know it was still kind of those those narrow pathways for girls and and I chose nursing but so much of nursing is education it's about teaching your patients self-reliance and how to take care of themselves. So I'm just using the same concepts of teaching that I used then to teach people about their toilet. About their toilet or their electrical system or what have you. And so I want to come back to how your business developed here. And you get asked, here, you want to teach this class? And you're like, sure. And you've got six weeks to, to, to put together this curriculum. What was that experience like of going through that period? I can imagine in my head, I'm like thinking on the one hand, I'd be like super excited. Yeah, this is a cool opportunity. On the other hand, I'd be like, I don't know how to do this. Exactly. That's what went down. Okay. I remember hanging up with Eleanor the one night and sitting down the next night at the dinner table with my husband and the boys and saying to them, okay, mom's going to teach a class about, you know, home repair and fixing things. I need a name for the class. So I remember vividly sitting at the kitchen table with them and playing around with acronyms and, and words to try to come up with a, a name for this class, that it was about home repair and it was about women. And it was at that kitchen table that the name Hip Chicks was born. And it stands for Home Improvement Project Chicks, so that it was about women doing home improvement. And that's where it was born. And it was a couple days later that my son, who was 12 at the time, took a piece of clip art of a hen holding a box of eggs. And then he went into paint. Remember paint <laughs> yep. on, on the word? And he went into paint and he took out the carton of eggs and he pulled in a clip art of a drill and he put little earrings on her and it put the drill in her little wing. And that's when Henrietta, the hip chick, was born, my logo. And then we sent it off to my sister, who's a graphic designer. And then she officially created the formal logo. But it was truly a family process. And 
then after we came up with the name and the logo and the representation, I stopped to think, okay, if I'm going to teach five weeks of a course, what are the five most important core things that I know I use and need to know as a homeowner? So we started off with tool basics because I can't teach you to fix something if you don't know what the hell tools you need in your toolbox. So tool basics was our first class. And then I did electric and plumbing as a combo. Then we did paint and weatherization. And then we did a little bit of carpentry and tile. And what was the other ones? I forget. There's other classes that I took. Oh, how to hang things. That's a whole big course. I call it, how's it hanging? Perfect. And that's all about... That's all about your walls, your drywall, your plaster. How do you hang crap on the walls? And I know so many people that do it wrong and stuff falls and it breaks and they have big holes and they're afraid to make a hole and they don't know how to patch it. And people do a crappy job spackling. So that was a whole class. So ironically, these are the same core classes that I still teach today. And I base all my videos off of a lot of these core things because they matter. Well, absolutely. As um, I'm thinking about the walls and I'm thinking about one being located where you are more in the eastern part of the country where there are a lot of older homes. And so you've probably got your fair amount of lath and plaster back there. It's not all drywall. And those are radically different as far as what you need to do about hanging things and dealing with it. And then I'm thinking about my own experiences with attempting to patch walls. And it's it it seems really straightforward and it's not. A little bit of of a science and a lot of art. It takes practice and dexterity. And I will tell my students, fixing a patch on of drywall is going to take you five days. And they look at me. I'm like, it's going to take you 10 minutes for five days. And because you can't do it in 50 minutes. You have to give it time. You have to be patient. I said, you can't on Wednesday before Thanksgiving decide you're going to patch all the holes because company is coming the next morning. No, don't do that. It will look like you tried to do it Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Our house that we live in now, there's actually no texture on the walls, which we love because it makes it so much easier to do patching or any cleanup because we don't have to worry about matching the texture. At least you just got to get it sanded smooth and you're fine. It makes it a lot easier. Nothing like using a toothbrush to try to texture and swirl it or you tap it and pat. I guess that's the artsy side of me that I don't mind that challenge, but most people can't work hopeless for me i've seen a couple of of good drywall folks who can match anything and it's it is absolutely like very artistic and very it's it's amazing people who can do that i am not one of these people my partner is she can do stuff like that but i'm like yeah no so this the nice smooth walls that we have are like perfect i can deal with that so okay we cover the basics and really smart, right? Let's break it down into these core basic areas. We're going to teach one one topic a week. So, so tell me about the experience of doing this first class with just the you know the few people here and doing this. What was that like for you? It required a lot of milk crates because it was really a very much of a show and tell. I would stack up three milk crates and on a hand truck and I'd bungee cord them and I wheeled them into a school and people would be looking at me because I'd have drills and saws and all sorts of stuff packed, piled up and people would be like, do you need help? I'm like, nope, I'm good. You know, and I'd march myself in. For me, I'm a visual learner. I think a lot of women are. I don't know what it is. I think a lot of women are visual learners and I want to see it. I want to touch it. I learn better by doing and seeing. Don't read me instructions. Don't ask me to read instructions. So don't you think there's a huge feel aspect to a lot of this stuff, at least to, to my thinking. And 
this is the kind of thing that, at least for me, again, yeah, with you can tell me all day long how to do something, but until I actually have the physical experience of here's what it feels like, here's here's what it feels like when it's actually tight enough exactly. and not too tight. There's no way to me to characterize that in, in words. And so this totally makes sense because this is such a physical sort of work that it would absolutely require. It's also physical. And years ago, when I taught that first session, I, I didn't go as deep as I do now with my students, but I, I just taught the class again a couple of weeks ago at the community college. And the how's it hanging session is my favorite because I have the students bring their drills to class. I don't just pass my drill around. If you own a power drill, bring it to class. I want you to bring every little bucket of bits that you have and and parts, bring your batteries for your drill. And I'm going to walk you through the parts on your drill. I'll have mine. We'll make sure that you all know what the parts on yours are. Because if you don't understand the parts of your tools and how to use the tools, you're never going to get anywhere because that's the first thing. And they love it. Cause I also bring in pieces of two by four, 12 foot or 12 foot, 12 inch pieces of two by fours and a little piece of drywall. And I make them put drywall screws in. So they experience how to hang drywall. And then I give them wall anchors and I make them hang a wall anchor in the dead space between, and then drive a, a wood screw in as if they're going to hang a picture on a stud. And, and I make them do all these things. And they love it. The excitement and the joy, and they feel so accomplished just by putting in this stupid plastic anchor in a piece of drywall. And they like, you, you see the light bulbs and they get it. It's just, I walk out on such a high that night because they are on such a high. And the funniest thing is you've, I'm sure, stripped a screw before. Uh, yeah. More than one. <laughs> Everybody does. <laughs> But so many people don't know why they strip, why they're stripping and how to stop it. And what do you do if it is stripped and how do you get it out and and all of this? So that's one of the things that I really dive into. And I will be at the front of my room and I'll be yelling, who's stripping? Because they're all playing with their little (laughs) setups and I can hear it. I can hear that. And they're all like, what? Is it me? Is it me? You know, and then I have to see who was doing what. And But they walk out of there just feeling like they've got a real handle on one of the core tools they will use on everything in their home. Oh, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. And And I think another example of one of those things that once you get it, it's super simple. But until you do... It's like, what the hell is happening here? And it seems like it should be simple, but it doesn't feel simple. And so I think this totally makes sense. And it's such a, yeah, a useful thing. I think about like how many times have I needed a wall anchor in the two plus years we've lived in the house that we're in now. And it's like hanging stuff up in the garage Mm -hmm. or the house or here and there and knowing how to do that and being comfortable with how it works and what to do if it gets screwed up or whatever has really been rather valuable thing to know. And that's what YouTube doesn't always teach you. And that's what the textbooks don't teach you. They show you how to do it successfully and well from the get-go. But when you fucked it up, how do you solve that? When the plastic anchor snapped off in half in the wall, what do you do? You know, what happens when you've picked up the wrong screw and now it doesn't fit into the anchor and you try to take the anchor out and now you've got a big hole in the wall and that's where you needed to hang. Like, how do you get past all of those things? And that's the problem with YouTube and, and with the textbook is that it takes you to a point and walks away. 
and you find yourself going, okay, well, I, I got this far, but now what? And that's why I decided to create online teaching program because the women that come into my mentoring program, I, I have my own videos for them. And I'm like, watch this video. This is what you're going to do. Gather your tools, get started. When you get stuck, when you get stuck, pop your question in the Facebook group and I'll guide you the next step. And it, it's, you can't expect people to just figure things out all the way on their own. And I did. And I screwed up so many times and I had to work through so many things. And if I can spare people some of that aggravation, then that fulfills a purpose for me. I, I joke that my whole goal with these teaching classes is that I'm saving people money, stress, and time, because I want to teach you the things you need to know. So you get it done efficiently, well, on time and we all have real lives to get back to. I could DIY all day because I get joy out of it. Other people don't want to. Other people can't because they have other obligations that they have to deal with. I have one video, which is so lame. It is so lame and dorky. It's about how to shut off the toilet if their water's overflowing. And a lot of people don't know how to shut down the toilet. So I shot this video years ago. It starts off talking about how if depends or your idea of leak protection, you have a lot to learn. And it's so corny, but I've had so many women write to me on YouTube and say, oh my God, you just saved me. One girl's comment was, it is 3 a.m. And I've been sitting here holding my hand on this toilet valve for an hour trying to figure out what I need to do. And I found your video and now I've shut off the water and I can go back to bed and thank you. That like brought me to tears knowing I made that much of a difference in that woman's life that she could get back to bed, get up and go to work and get back onto life and be calm. I have just, while you're talking here, I just found the video. Now I'm like, yeah, there it is. I, I just, search, I, I just, I'm like, let's see. I Google, how do I shut off my toilet? And there it is. Okay. Oh, yes. Cool. Yeah. From 2012 oh to watch God. that. I have to watch that one later. Yeah. Totally dorky. All right. So you do this first class. I'm going to talk about the evolution of your business some more. So you do this first class and you're like, okay, cool. This is, this is great. And tell me about the journey of it growing um, from there and then into online. And then I want to hear some about, tell us about, you know, your online program and how that works as well. It started off with, you know, teaching that first class at the evening school. And we went from five students to the next session. There were 25 ladies and I was blown away that there were that many ladies. And I just loved it. They were so excited. They brought their little tool bags with their drills and, you know, and they wanted to learn. And they were like in awe of all that I knew. And I kind of underestimate, undervalue what I have in my head. Like, it's no big deal. Like, this is what you do. You know, fast forward to about three years ago, it happened to be my birthday and I had a class scheduled in a series. So my husband, and I went out to dinner before the class and he came with me to class. He had never attended one of my classes. He's seen the videos and whatever, but he had never sat in on a full two hour class. And that was the electric and plumbing class. And we got home and he said to me, holy shit. He goes, I am blown away by how much you know and how you can articulate it and how you can talk about plumbing and electric for an hour without a breath, without stopping. And you just... He goes, you just go. And that was the evolution was that I had figured out over the years what props I needed 
to really be able to demonstrate the the lessons and concepts and the materials needed. And I still, to this day, have buckets of stuff that I bring to class and I pass things around very show and tell kindergarten style. But now my students take pictures with their cell phones of the items. And if I have a plumbing setup, they'll take a picture of it. So they, you know, remember the setup of the plumbing. And so it just evolved with each session I taught what to put in the class and what to take out because I was giving too much information. I, I just want to share and share everything that's in my head, but it's too much. There's overwhelm for my students. So I started to pull more out of it and, and just slow down the pace and teach some of the core elements. So yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want, I want to ask about that. Like, how did you identify what was the, the core stuff versus the, okay, here's the tipping point at which it becomes overwhelm and figure out what to pull out? I tried to just put it into a basics bucket. You know, these are the core things that are pretty common throughout every home. Instead of adding, well, some of you have this and some of you have this. And I just kind of left those things aside and focused on what was the norm, the basic. And I would also reference that Home Depot guide and hone in on, okay, they're just showing this and this. I don't need to go down this path. Plus, then that creates an avenue for me to bring on students for more in depth. It creates 2.0 mm-hmm. where if I don't give them all of it, but I could see the overwhelm that they would, you know, a couple sessions got. And I'm like, yeah, I need to back off, but I'm giving them too much, too much too soon. And it, it seemed to flow better when I backed off a little bit. So there's a real, along the way, as this evolved, I can hear you looking at it, refining it, tweaking it, adjusting it, and it evolving along the way. Absolutely. And I never saw myself as a teacher, but I guess I had that innate skill set. And I guess through nursing, it was also refined because as a nurse, you can't just go in and give a patient instructions about at-home care, you know, how they're going to give themselves an injection or whatever, until you understand where is that patient? Where are they? You have to know where your patient is before you can take them to the next step. So the same thing for my homeowners. I taught one class and again, this was early on and I was talking about wall anchors and, and studs and whatever. And this class had a man in it and he was probably in his early sixties. He was a very meek and mild guy. And he raises his hand and he says, Beth, is the stud something in the wall? And I went, wow, wow. Okay. I bet there's other people in this room that are sitting here going, I'm not sure what a stud is. So then I built a little wall. I literally built like an iframe two by four base with studs and a header and a footer. And I put a piece of drywall on it and I bring that to class. I've been schlepping <laughs> this thing around for nine years. And at this point it's, it's wonky and it's not level, but it's tossed in and out of my van and I'm not rebuilding it, but it allows me to turn it around and to show them how the wall is actually constructed so that they understand it before I talk about finding a stud and how to put the wall anchors in. Let's see what's really inside your walls. Now I don't bring plaster and laugh. I just stick to drywall, but it's just creating the visuals and figuring out where's your student and how do you take them from A to B. For you, I hear this again, this attunement to like what's needed and tweaking and adjusting things for that, which I think is, is great. Along the way, as this is developing and you're building this up, what 
were the the things that you found to be uh, say difficult or challenging or where were the the struggles along the way that you experienced here if any the struggles that i've had along the way that i still have is the monetization is figuring out exactly how to monetize and what i do is very unique there there are no other women or men that i have found that are offering this kind of class. Now, there are a ton of people who end up on reality shows. I have been auditioned for probably five or six reality shows. I even produced a pilot for my own show four years ago, pitched it to HGTV. I was told it was too educational. <laughs> I was, that's what I thought was going to be the answer there. It's like, clearly yeah. it's too educational. It's not, yeah, wow. It's not over the top. It's not fake. It was educational, it was sincere, and it was more meaningful than a lot of the other stuff that's out on there. And so it didn't fit their mold. So I just tucked that in my hat and said, I'm not going to modify who I am and what my goals are for this business and for my purpose just to have a reality show, you know, just feed someone else's idea. I've been asked, will your husband be on the show with you? Do you have a sister that can be your partner? And do you know any male contractor buddies that you can work with? And it was like, this isn't what I want. I want to empower people. I want to give them real practical and usable information and, and motivation and cheerleading. I don't want to play your fake game. My pilot sits on YouTube and, you know, who knows what will become of it. But the monetization part is the hard part. And I think that comes when you are taking something that is completely your own intellectual property, my own IP, the way I teach it, the way I call it, like calling it, how's it hanging? All of these little playful euphemisms that I throw into what I do. How do you get people to value what you do when they think they can go on YouTube and watch and YouTube leaves them stranded? And they're like, now what? Mine doesn't look like this. And I've watched 12 videos and mine still doesn't look like the videos that are out there. And who can I ask to walk me through my specific issue? That's where I come in. And I'll be quite honest, part of the monetization thing has been my own struggle with my own self-worth and putting the value on what I do. And because everything's up here, I'm not selling makeup. I'm not selling a piece of jewelry. Everything that I'm selling is what's in my head. On the one hand, I hear you talking about this, this self-doubt, this not necessarily valuing yourself. On the other hand, here you have this situation where you, you do this pilot and you get all this feedback and you totally with that could have gone, oh, okay, I'm going to make all these adjustments and then done something that probably would have flown, but you chose to stick to your guns. So tell me about that. Yeah. I admire that. I want to be really clear. I'm like, yeah, good for you. And I'm curious how you were able to hold your course and say, no, this is how I'm doing this. A number of years ago, I sat down with a friend as part of some women's networking event, and she was doing this core values exercise. And I'm sure you've done it with people or done it in group sessions. And they give you a hundred words and you circle 13 of them. And then you have to scratch out and, and you whittle your way down to the three words that are really the core of who you are. And when I did this exercise, I was down to the five words and within the five words, you know, family was one of those. And my friend looked at me and she said, I know how much 
you love your, your children. You are such a, an impassioned mother. But if your whole family were to die tomorrow, she said, do you think you would still find a way to get up the next day? And I said, I do. And she said, then that's not a core value. She said, I'm trying not to get emotional. She said, creativity was on my list. And she said, if you were told that you could not create something ever again, she said, how would you feel? I said, I would suffocate. So I went through this exercise with her and my values that came up were responsibility. So that's a core for me is, is to, to be responsible and do the right things. The other thing was the creativity. And the other thing, which I think drove that decision to walk away from some of those nonsense suggestions is authenticity. And I really have a hard time with fake anything, really have yeah. a hard time with that. So for me, these TV shows were asking me to be inauthentic. So you really had clarity about, yeah, I could hypothetically do this, but it, it would be completely misaligned with my values. Yeah. And that value exercise has really been essential and it pops up when I have those dilemmas and I need to step back and analyze a decision. It helps. I think that's such an important thing. And I, I would like in my mind where I have these, the words that you're saying, like visually I'm highlighting all of this, what you're saying right now, because that piece about knowing those values and sticking to them, I think it is, it's so important about being able to walk your path when things get bumpy or difficult, or you have what seem to be opportunities. Like in this case, it looks like one of these things. I'm sure some people would look at this and be like, why did you blow off that opportunity? It's because it's not actually an opportunity. It's an opportunity to violate your values, but that wouldn't have played well for you. And you know that. Right. And I think it all boils down to self-awareness. That makes sense. So now I want to come back to this piece about you and undervaluing yourself. I want to do this because I, I hear you're like saying that like, well, I, you know, I've just had this information that I'm just conveying. And it's the information is not your value, actually. What I'm hearing is there's a way in which you convey the knowledge and the skill. You're able to impart it or teach it, or I don't know what the right word would be, but there's something about that. But it's not just even the skill. It's the psychology, the mindset that goes with it. You are not just giving your students, here's this skill, are you? And you know that. No. And I use the terms knowledge, skill, and guts in, in my marketing because that's what I'm giving to them. And so much of it is really the guts because the knowledge piece they can pick up, I can show them step-by-step step how to do it, but getting them to get outside of themselves and actually execute is where I have some of the biggest obstacles, you know, in, in just getting them to make that transition. And yeah, I am more than a DIYer. I am a, a bit of a life coach. I am a bit of a cheerleader. I am a bit of a therapist. I literally had a student recently reach out to me because she knows my backstory and she knows that I have been in a difficult relationship and that I've pushed through it. And she called to ask me if I could give her some advice on how to find a therapist and how to get started. So I, I do give my students more than just tab A and tab B. I've really created a community where women support each other in every step. That's pretty valuable. I know it is. I know. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to, to own. 
So let's talk a little bit about the about your online program and community and all of that that you've created. Give us the the overview of, of how that looks and works. What I've created is a course. It's chock full of knowledge, skill, and guts. I have a online program that empowers homeowners to take care of their house from soup to nuts and gives them the skills to add value to their home, to avoid having to call a pro for the basic everyday things. And I also empower them to confidently deal with pros when they do need them. Because I will never tell anybody that my course will completely fill the need to ever hire a guy in the first place. I still hire pros, but there's a way to do it and do it well. It is a 10 plus and growing module course where I teach electric plumbing, drywall, carpentry, tile, appliance repair, tool basics, all of these things. And there's pre-recorded videos people can watch at their own pace. And the videos are the deep dive. The videos are this is what a two by four wall looks like on the inside. And two by fours aren't two inches by four inches, by the way. I teach them the basics. If I was going to teach a patient about their insulin administration, I have to teach them how to use a syringe. You know what I mean? So I teach them the basics of why they're going to do what they do, why it's important, the structural or safety concerns, all of that is the core in the module. And then I have subset of the get it done videos of how to make a bridge in a drywall hole so that you can patch that hole quickly and easily. So we've got our long videos, we have our short videos, and there are printable sheets and checklists and and things for homeowners. And then I have a Facebook group. So in the private Facebook group, my students post questions and pictures. I need pictures because I'm a very visual person of their problems and of their projects and what they're trying to accomplish. And I will take their picture and I will mock up, you know, you're going to put a screw here. You're going to do this. Here's your stud. This is how you're going to do it. And then I send it back to them. We also have weekly coaching calls where I have seven to 10 women get on a zoom call and I will put together a slide for each of them. And and I go through the steps, the tools, the gear that they need to get the project done. The women in this community are getting to know one another. They cheer each other on. One will talk about, oh, I need to do this. And the other one will go, oh my God, I did that four years ago. And here's what I used. And then they post the link to the product. And it's just amazing to watch them cheer each other on. And sometimes I just sit back and I let them guide each other a little bit. And it's great to see how they're all growing. I have had students rip their shower down to the studs and re-shower their whole bathroom or retile their whole bathroom. One of my students, 63-year-old divorced woman, rip out her bathroom floor, put up beadboard paneling, replace her toilet, her sink, and her tile in her powder room all on her own. A woman who'd never done electric before rewired all of her smoke detectors She's put in three dimmers. She's hung two switches or two lights and changed the bathroom fan motor. She had never done electrical work in her life. So I'm seeing women grow in in their skills, but also just in their confidence. And that's priceless to me. That's so cool. It's such a great resource that you've created. Now with this community, is it all women? Are there any guys in there? There are no guys in my online program. I have guys that come to live events, you know, at the area schools, tons of guys, 
interacting on, on YouTube, which I love. The program is open to men. Like I would never turn away a, a gentleman that wants to join. Just nobody's, I guess, had the guts to say, I'm going to dive into that group of ladies and stake my claim. So when a guy shows up, I love it because they are so motivated. They're so motivated. You know, they're, they're so made it, motivated by the, that mindset and that voice in their head that said, I'm supposed to know this and I don't, and I'm tired of being left out and feeling emasculated because that's what happens. So you watch these TV shows and the commercials and the guys with their F, you know, Ford 150 trucks and they're bringing out the toolbox. So many men don't relate to that. No, definitely not. I would agree with that. But at the same time, we do own homes and we do sometimes have to do things to take care of those homes. So knowing enough, and I've over the years been able to pick up enough that I can do a lot of basic things. And I know when it's like when I need to hand it off to someone, right? And get someone else to do it. But I've had to learn a lot of it myself. It's a challenging thing. And there definitely have had those experiences of, shouldn't I know this? Like, why don't I know this? Because yeah. yeah, if you didn't have some adult who was showing you or teaching you, you wouldn't, you just don't inherently know it. Exactly. None of us grew up innately knowing how to do calculus, how to balance a checkbook, how to buy a car, like our educational system. And, and again, that's a whole nother conversation is so messed up in that we're shoving advanced AP calculus down these kids' throats, but they're walking out of school, not understanding basic accounting and billing and buying a car and credit and all of it to me, this is all life skills. And I don't expect people necessarily to retile their bathroom. Okay. That's an advanced thing that, that I can take women to do, but to just understand how your home works, what's alarming, what's not, what can wait, what you need to get on the phone for that hour and get help and how not to ignore things. And for me, it's women are losing property value. And that is what our future is based on, is on real estate. And if you're not protecting that, it's a really, it, to me, it's sad. And, and we're not empowering people to do that. One of the things my husband and I have been talking about is a retirement plan. He's looking at about four years to retire. And he loves to teach life skills. He's taught a lot of those to our kids from finances to accounting to just how to function in the world. And between him being able to teach the financial aspect and me teaching the home repair and together us teaching parenting, we, we're pretty lucky that we've done a hell of a job with our kids through self-awareness, through um, checking ourselves when we're not being the best parent and we need to step back. And we, we've worked at it. Like we've been conscious about it. And part of our retirement plan is I have this crazy ass idea that I want to buy an old school bus and I want to renovate the school bus and make it into a mobile classroom that my husband and I can go to low-income communities or not necessarily low-income communities, but do an outreach to vulnerable women that are struggling to hold it together, who are struggling as moms because they're trying to juggle everything, who don't understand money, who are getting themselves into debt who are ignoring things in their house that are going to cause bigger problems because they're ignoring them, become a nonprofit that we can go and we can help elevate these moms. Because I firmly believe, and no offense to the guys out there, but when moms are solid and able to stand on their own two feet, their children have a better chance of blossoming. 
and it passes down to the next generation. So that's a, a long-term goal. I love that idea. It's so one, because it's just, it's a really cool thought that addresses what is such a, a very real and important need, but two, it feels completely aligned with you. It's, that seems like just a, a natural extension or addition to what you do or another way of doing what you do and being who you are. I think it is. And I don't think I shared this with you. I am in the process of a 16-week program to actually renew my nursing license. I had let my nursing license expire um, in the years of being home with the kids. And as part of this wish to, to open a nonprofit and be of service to women in other ways. I wanted to renew my license because I'd also like to pull in some public health education as part of that. Because for me, it's family, home, and health. And if you don't have those three things, you're screwed. One of the things that I, that I was admire about you is your ability to communicate things in a way that is both concise, comprehensive, and snappy at the same time. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> So tell me, you, over the time that you've been doing this, how has this changed how you see and understand yourself as a person? Oh boy, you're pushing a big trigger button there. I grew up with loving, well-intentioned parents who, like we were joking about before, didn't do the work that they needed to do on themselves before they had us kids. And we kids have had to pick up the pieces emotionally to be whole. And because I had to do this work, I was determined I was not going to do that to my children. So I've made a very clear determination to do the work on myself. And in doing that, I have found that I'm really blessed. I'm blessed to have a great husband. I'm blessed to have financial security. I'm blessed that we have three great kids. And yes, they're good kids on healthy platforms because we put in a hell of a lot of work and, and they've not had any major traumas or anything in their life that got in the way. And I feel very blessed to have that position. I feel a great need because of being blessed to give back. And I look back at what I think my mother could have been had she had more opportunity. And I just want to pass that on to other people. So what it has taught me, and I say this not to sound boastful or, or better than anybody else, but I feel like I have a lot to offer the world. And I feel like I have a responsibility to do it, to take it out there and share it. I don't, I, it's not, as they say, it's not bragging if it's true. And I, and I, I hear so. you and I, I, I appreciate so. on the one hand, the, the modesty, but at the same time, I think it's real obvious through the work that you do, but more even the way that you do it, that's exactly right. And I think as I'm thinking about this and here, thinking about your background and your history and what you, how you go about doing the work that you do, I, I see the two things as likely tied together that it's the awareness of how things can be right, drives you to help others to not have that experience and serves you in that way. So I think that's a yes. really important and powerful thing. And it's, I think that there's a takeaway here for anyone in that sometimes these things that are real challenges and obstacles and painful things that we experience can become very powerful drivers in certain ways and can actually inspire us or motivate us or help us to, to see things in a way that proves to be very useful. 
And, and I'm sure you've heard the expression, um, to find purpose in the pain. And for me, that's what it is. The pain of growing up paycheck to paycheck and hearing my parents fight about money because something broke and how are they going to pay and the stress and, and the angst and the anger that that caused in the house. If I can help spare some other couple or single mom from sleep, not being able to sleep at night because she doesn't know how to fix that thing. And it's a 15 minute task with $5 part. If she only knew that's what I want to get to. If, if I can make that difference in her life, it put purpose to all that pain and all that crap that I witnessed growing up because I know how to do all of that now. And, and part of it is, I guess, my curiosity is that I love to learn. I, I want to learn and, and share what I know with as many people. And I have a lot of interests, you know, from travel to crafts, to gardening, to dogs. People have asked me, will I train their dog for them? Because our dogs have always been so well-behaved. And I'm like, no, I'm not going down that route. You know, one of the things that I want to do with my nursing license as well is I've spent this last year and a half dealing with a, a loved one with dementia. And even though I used to work in that space, I didn't see how advanced my loved one was. And it really hit all of us cousins below the belt. We just did not see it. And it was a hell year. It was an absolute hell year managing her care. And I would like to start a online course for families dealing with dementia. Because I've also identified as much as people don't know about their health and they don't know about their home, people don't understand dementia. And if I was guiding my siblings and my cousins through this process because they didn't see or understand parts of it and the light bulbs were going off that there's so many people out there that just need to understand the caregiver experience, not necessarily the patient experience but I want to provide caregiver support because they are so neglected in this process. And it is a, a challenging one for sure. And so here's what I hear here is this part of you that wants, it sees people who have a difficult struggle or a challenge and wants to help them feel more capable, aware of, or empowered to, to be able to, to cope with it, and navigate through it. Cause that seems to be. Hi, my name is Beth and I have a problem. I am a fixer. And <laughs> okay, but again, I'm going to challenge that. I mean, yes and no, because a fixer, the way I think of it anyway, I hear you saying that. And I think I know what you actually mean, but I, I want to put some nuance on this for you because a fixer is someone who goes and takes care of things. And you're not doing that. You're helping others to be able to take care of their own things. And I think if we look at this through the, the lens of codependency, we that's actually way, way healthier. Oh, yes. I don't want to give you the fish. I'm giving you but the it's rest. It's actually yeah. an interesting thing because it's where someone else might have actually become the person who did the fixing, others, maybe for hire or maybe just as a friend. But you're like, well, I'm going to actually teach other people to do it themselves. And so, you know, I hear you, but I would say, actually, you're not. I, I, and an empowerer is too hard of a word to say reasonably. So I don't have a, I don't have a better one because it's like you're a teacher, <laughs> but you're more than a teacher. So we'll have to find, we have to find a word for this, Beth. We'll work on this one. I love the, your story because it's such a great example of taking these experiences and turning them into something that is not only good for you, but is good for so many other people. Because this work that you're doing is so empowering and it's helped so many people. And I love these ideas that you have for other things that you want to do. It's such a great example of how of what we all can do 
with even difficult and challenging you know, backgrounds that we might have. And I'm one of those people that has a bucket list that is just so long of all these things that I want to do and change. I, I want to change the world. I want to make difference in the world. And I feel like, oh my God, there's just not enough time. There's never, there won't be enough time for me to get done all these things. And I know a lot of people feel that way. Well, and the other thing to remember is there's a lot of people who are also doing that same work. And so thankfully you don't have to do all of it. You know, I see things that go on and I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to fix that. You know, just in the hospital this past week, it's 27 years since I was on a hospital floor providing care to patients. And I'm back in the hospital and I'm at the bedside and doing things and I'm looking around and, and I can't even just focus on, all right, I'm giving insulin to this patient. I'm thinking, wow, bigger picture. What is their diet? What is their lifestyle? What is do they have enough money? Can they afford healthy food? Have they had the nutritional consult? Do they have the site? I was like, and I'm just like, whoa, stop. Just focus on giving them insulin at the moment. <laughs> but I tend to just think in these broad, big pictures and I have to reel myself in sometimes. Sometimes you do have to deal with the task at hand, but the big picture focus is also important. So while you keep doing what you're doing to empower others, all those of us who are, will keep empowering others who will empower others. And, and I think um, that adds up. And, and for me, that's been the whole purpose of this is if I can help other women have a positive homeownership experience, I know that will spill over into other aspects of their life. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it, it has. I don't think there's any if about this. When it spills over. Yeah, it's more a question of how many more will there be. I think after she fixes that toilet and she feels like a badass, I want her to be able to walk into work the next day and handle her day with confidence and not take crap from anybody. Yeah, that's, that's great. Now, Beth, when people want to learn more about you and about your programs and classes and all the stuff that you're doing, what is the best place for them to track you down online? The best place to track me down is at DIY. Hip Chicks. That is my handle for YouTube, for my website, for Facebook, and for Instagram. So it's very easy. So it's DIY HIP Chicks. And yeah, I would be happy to have any one of the listeners connect, learn how they can be more empowered as homeowners and beyond, because that's, that is the piece, like you said, is, is where my ultimate goal is. So I will put links for the various online locations in the show notes. So um, folks can find those there. DIY hip chicks around where, wherever on the internet you happen to be hanging out, she's there too in some way, shape or form, <laughs> probably with some toilet paraphernalia in hand or uh, nearby. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I was a roll of toilet paper for uh, Halloween see. this year. Perfect. And uh, I played um, some pranks with the kids. I, I handed out squares of TP because I told them there was a shortage and they looked at me and it was so funny because teenage boys, like 15 year old boys looked at me and graciously said, oh, thanks. Well, if I get chocolate on me when I'm trick-or-treating, I can clean my hands up. It was awesome. <laughs> and as they were walking away with a square of toilet paper, I'm yelling. I'm like, come back. I have candy. And they're like, oh, you do? They thought I was just giving out squares of defect. That's, that's fabulous. I love that. So good to, to connect with you. Thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast and, and sharing your journey and your story. Thank you for having me. And thank you to your listeners for listening. That's it for this episode of the Sensitive Rebel Podcast. 
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can get show notes, information about my coaching services, or just send me a note at sensitiverebel.com. Until next time, keep moving forward.